Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Prepwell Podcast. In today's episode, I want to talk about financial aid and how to avoid being scammed. And I'm going to try very hard not to get too bogged down in jargon and what ifs or to go on too many different tangents because financial aid can get very complicated and I don't want to bury us in minutiae. So in order to do this, I want to cover some basics so that we all start out on the same page. So let me define a few things up front. Need-based financial aid. You've probably heard this terminology out there. Need-based financial aid is offered to students who can demonstrate that their family doesn't make a lot of money and thus needs the money in order to attend the school. And we can quibble over what doesn't make a lot of money means, but the bottom line for colleges that have generous need-based financial aid programs is that if your family makes less than $75,000 a year, your child will probably go for free. You will get the maximum need-based aid, which covers the difference between what you can be expected to pay and what the costs are. If your family makes more than about $170,000 in current income, that is income that shows up on your W-2, you will probably not be eligible for very much need-based aid at all. You, your family, according to the algorithms, make too much money to warrant any need-based aid. You don't need the money, according to the formulas. Again, I don't want to argue about the exact number or whether this policy makes any sense or not. It's just the way it works these days. How a family that makes $180,000 a year is supposed to afford a college that costs $80,000 a year? I don't know, but that's an issue for a different episode. There are about 30 colleges, roughly, that offer generous need-based financial aid because they have huge endowments, because they attract wealthy students, many of whom can pay full freight, and because they have a lot of brand power in the marketplace. They can demand a lot of money from some students. These schools include the Ivy League schools, the Stanfords, the MITs, Northwestern, Tufts, University of Chicago, the NESCAC schools like Amherst, Bowdoin, Middlebury, Trinity. You've probably heard many of these names. Most of these schools offer generous need-based aid. They also typically don't offer very much in the way of merit-based aid, which we'll talk about in a second. The Ivies, for example, don't offer any merit-based aid. You either make a ton of money and pay full freight, or you're poor in their eyes and you pay close to nothing. There's not a lot of in-between. Now, what is merit-based aid? Merit-based aid is money that a college will offer your child as an enticement to get them to attend their school. You might think of it as a discount off the top-line sticker price. So instead of paying the sticker price of $80,000 a year, your child might get a $20,000 merit scholarship, which would bring the cost down to $60,000 a year. Colleges that offer merit-based aid are trying to compete with the 30-some-odd schools we just talked about a minute ago, the ones that offer generous need-based aid. They try to compete by offering deep discounts on their tuition in the form of merit-based or academic scholarships, 
which can be $20,000 a year, $30,000, $40,000 a year. For example, Fordham University, with a sticker price of $80,000 a year, might offer a student a $30,000 a year merit-based scholarship or an academic scholarship to a student who otherwise would go to Columbia and pay $80,000 a year. And there's one other distinction that I will make before we discuss how this whole thing works practically, and it has to do with admissions. Most of the 30 schools referenced above do not consider an applicant's financial status when making admissions decisions. Technically, this is called need-blind admissions, meaning these colleges don't want to be accused of admitting students based on who can pay more. That would get them into a lot of hot water. So they erect a theoretical wall between admissions and the financial aid office so that they can't talk to one another. This is supposed to keep finances out of the admissions decisions. Now, between you, me, and the fence post, there are plenty of other ways that admissions teams can predict who will be the full payers versus who will be the financial aid candidates, like zip code, for example, but let's not go there right now. Let's get back to where it gets a little weird. The colleges that do offer merit-based aid, let's call them tier two colleges, I use Fordham as an example, who don't have as much brand power in the marketplace, interestingly, often have the same sticker price as the tier one colleges do. Let's call it $80,000 a year. From a marketing and optics perspective, they feel compelled to match the tier one prices so that they look like they're offering similar value as the tier one colleges. It's all about perceived value. If they drop their price down to, say, $50,000 a year, which is actually what they would need to sustain their operations, people would dismiss them as some kind of a discount college or less elite or less competitive or less valuable. It would be like a Toyota Corolla having the same sticker price as a BMW. So here's how it goes down. The colleges that are what we call need-aware meaning that they consider an applicant's ability to pay when they make admissions decisions, they hire outside consulting firms to figure out exactly how much they think each prospective student would pay if they attended. And if their projections are correct, the number of students who accept the offers times their expected payment amount should generate enough money to keep the college in business. Now, they may extract more money than the model predicts, in which case they have a surplus. They may extract less money than the model predicts, in which case they may fall into financial distress. So as you can imagine, this is a very complicated and high-stakes game. The accuracy of the econometrics models better be pretty good. The solvency of the institution is at stake. And colleges pay these consultants millions and millions and millions of dollars to get it right. This whole process is known as enrollment management. Let's look at an example. And we'll use Fordham as a representative college that uses enrollment management. I don't know if Fordham specifically uses this approach with admissions and financial aid. I'm just going to use their name as a stand-in for colleges that do. Let's say Fordham gets 50,000 applications and they accept roughly half, 25,000 students. 
And of those 25,000 students who get accepted, about 10% actually enroll. So about 2,500 students actually enroll. They have models that predict how many of those 25,000 accepted students will actually enroll. That's called the yield. In this case, about 10%. And of those students who they think will enroll, they know how much money each of those students will likely be able to pay or will be willing to pay because the model has created a financial profile for each and every one of these students. It's baked into the system. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. There are consulting firms who hire the smartest economists, statisticians, data scientists, behavioral experts, sociologists, financial gurus to build these models. Now, let's discuss which of the 25,000 accepted students might get offered merit-based aid in order to expedite them to accept the offer of admissions. Because the sooner the colleges nail down their class, the better. So let me give you a concrete, albeit fictitious example of a student named Shelley. Shelley was accepted to Fordham among several other colleges and now is deciding where to actually attend. Let's say Shelley lives in New Jersey, which is not far from New York, but it is out of state. She has two working parents who make decent money. She's visited the campus dozens of times. She wrote her essay about how much she loved Fordham. Her dad went to Fordham. She attended the college fair and met the Fordham representative. Her SAT score is above Fordham's average, and she has a strong GPA. These and dozens of other factors are all combined to determine one critical data point. That is, what is the maximum amount of money they can extract from Shelley and her family? It's literally a math probability and statistical question that the consultants must solve. How do they find that number? And then how do they optimize that number? These days, if Shelley paid full freight to attend Fordham University in the Bronx, New York, she would pay $80,000 a year for tuition, room, and board. That's not fictitious. That's actually the real number if you look it up. $80,000 a year to go to Fordham University. Now, Fordham's optimization model, with its thousands of data points, predicts that Shelley won't pay $80,000 a year to attend. That's too expensive. Her parents wouldn't see the value in paying that much money. She'd rather opt to go to a state school in New Jersey. The model knows this. It's built into the system. Instead, the model predicts that a family like Shelley's, from her neighborhood and her zip code and the high school she goes to with one parent who is an alumni they would be willing to pay up to $47,000 a year, but not a dollar more. So $47,000 a year is the magic number. If Fordham can get more than $47,000 a year, great, it's bonus time. If they get exactly $40,000 a year, okay, that fits what the model spit out, we're all good. If they can't get $47,000 a year from Shelley because she opts to go to a cheaper college in Jersey, then the model failed, and they'll have to make it up on some other student. So how does Fordham attempt 
to extract the most money possible from Shelley and her family in the shortest amount of time? Well, first, they test the waters. Shelley gets accepted, and they'll see if they can get Shelley to enroll at full freight, $80,000 a year. Knowing that the model says that there's probably an 8.427% chance that this will happen, they try to pick off a slow deer who may go for it on emotion alone. Now, if Shelley doesn't accept that offer right away, they go to plan B. Plan B is a financial award letter that arrives in the mail and says, congratulations, Shelley, we have great news. We've reviewed your application again, and thanks to your outstanding academic record, we would like to extend you an $18,000 a year ABCDEFGHIJK Merit Scholarship Award as recognition for your outstanding contributions in the classroom. Please let us know what you think. You have 10 days to reply. If Shelley still doesn't accept, they go to Plan C. They send yet another letter from the financial aid office that says, Congratulations, Shelley. After further review of your application, and thanks to a generous donation from XYZ Foundation, we'd like to offer you an additional $10,000 a year merit scholarship. You have seven days to reply. And if Shelley still doesn't reply, Fordham might send out another final financial aid letter that says, congratulations, after another review of your application, and the focus Fordham is putting on our physics department this year, we'd like to offer you another $5,000 in merit scholarship money. We'd love to have you as a part of our growing group of females in the physics community. Okay, by this point, they've hit their limit. Fordham has hit their limit. According to the model, Shelley and her family should hit this bid. They have hit Shelley's number, theoretically. And presumably, in this make-believe scenario, Shelley would accept the offer. She would enroll at Fordham, accept the $33,000 in merit scholarship money, and pay $47,000 a year to attend the school, which is what the model predicted. And so everybody's happy. Fordham got their number. They tried to get more in the beginning, but ultimately extracted the $47,000 a year that the model called for. And if Fordham can replicate this scenario or something close to it for all 2,500 students who chose to enroll, they'll be in good shape financially. Fordham also gets the benefit of looking like they belong in the same category as the other $80,000 a year schools like Yale and Princeton and Middlebury even though they know they could get away with $50,000 a year, Fordham gets a reputation as being very generous with merit-based financial aid, which attracts students with strong academics, which then helps their metrics. If they attract students with high average SATs and average GPAs. Well, what about Shelley and her family? Shelley feels good about going to a school that she really wanted to attend and getting a $33,000 tuition break. Shelley can justify to her friends why she's going to Fordham instead of Columbia, not because she didn't get into Columbia, which was the reality, but because Fordham's financial aid was just too good to pass up. Shelley's parents feel good because now they can tell all of their Facebook friends that Shelley got a $33,000 a year academic scholarship because of how smart she is, even though the reality is that Shelley's academics, though pretty good, played a small, if not non-existent role 
in the amount of age she was awarded. It was almost all based on what the model spit out as what she could afford. So on the surface, the system chugs along. Fordham gets their $47,000 a year, Shelley gets her degree, and we all move on with our lives. And by the way, if this wasn't clear, Fordham knows that they don't actually need $80,000 a year from each student. That's just window dressing to keep up with the Columbias and the Cornells of the world. And they know that what they offer probably isn't worth $80,000 a year. But they use that big number so that they can make families feel like they're getting a good deal when they're offered merit aid. Parents get very excited. It's a huge selling point. It helps Fordham close the deal with many families because the families feel so honored and happy that they can tell their friends that their daughter was so smart that Fordham offered her a $33,000 academic scholarship because they wanted her so badly. The truth is, they really just needed the $47,000 a year, which was plenty good for them. So let me summarize what all of this means to you. Number one, understand the difference between need-based aid and merit-based aid. Number two, understand that the definition of who gets need-based aid is not necessarily rooted in reality. The numbers we discussed were less than $75,000 a year in current income usually means you pay nothing thanks to need-based financial aid. Greater than $170,000 in current income usually means that you get nothing in need-based financial aid. Again, these are generalizations. Number three, understand that not every school offers 100% need-based aid. And the definition of what need means will vary even among the schools that do offer it. Number four, the tier two colleges that cost the same as the tier one colleges, that is $80,000 a year, are charging that amount just to keep up with the Joneses. And so it appears that they're just as valuable as the Stanfords and the MITs of the world. Number five, if a tier two college offers you a merit-based financial aid scholarship, also known as an academic scholarship, be happy, but don't think that it has that much to do with your 3.8 GPA or your 1320 on the SAT. Colleges can be, shall I say, very liberal in who they consider to be strong academic candidates. They're much more concerned about your family's financial profile and what minimum level of discount they would have to use to entice you to pull the trigger. Number six, if you are a student and your family on paper doesn't appear that they will have a lot of money to contribute toward your education, or your family looks like it might be unsophisticated when it comes to student loans and complicated financial terminology, be careful about what you sign up for. Sometimes families with less financial savvy are taken advantage of. The models know this, so they don't offer those kinds of families merit scholarships. They often rely on nervous parents taking out tens of thousands of dollars in Parent PLUS loans because they really want their son or daughter to go to the school and they don't quite understand the ramifications. Number seven, if your parents do look like they have an ability to pay on paper, it might behoove you to not take the first merit-based scholarship offer that comes in the mail. And I know this is hard to do when they give you an exploding offer that will expire. But if you accept too early, you may be leaving money on the table. In other words, if a college offers you 
$20,000 a year and you take it, and the model would have offered you $40,000 a year, then you just left $20,000 a year on the table because you acted too soon. Number eight, with this information in mind, you should feel confident about negotiating financial aid among different colleges. If College X offers you $10,000 in aid and College Y offers you $20,000, you certainly can go back to College X and ask them to match College Y. Unfortunately, Similar to the back and forth that you have to do with a used car salesman, you have to keep going back and forth and back and forth with the college financial aid offices until you finally hit their bottom line number. Of course, they won't tell you what that bottom line number is because their goal is to extract every bit of money possible. So you have to get savvy about the process and make sure you don't overpay. Number nine, you should also know that for need-aware colleges, where admissions is aware of how much money the model expects you to pay, your chances may go down if your family doesn't have a lot of money. Because a college can get caught admitting a class where 80% of the students need max financial aid, they would go bankrupt. So keep this in mind when you start handicapping your chances of getting admitted into, into some colleges. And lastly, number 10, if your child goes to a tier two college, like a Fordham, for example, that has a sticker price of $80,000 a year, but you only pay $60,000 because of a merit-based scholarship, an academic scholarship, be proud, be happy that you didn't pay $80,000, but don't get that excited. That $80,000 sticker price was a bit of a scam to begin with. So don't focus so much on the $20,000 in savings Focus on whether or not it's even worth the 60000 that you're paying. You know, this reminds me of when my wife comes back from Costco and she's very excited because she got some killer deal on fancy Dijon mustard. She got it for 50% off. And while that's all fine and dandy, what are we going to do with a 30-year supply of fancy Dijon mustard that we use five times a year? I know this may have been a lot to digest for some of you, some of you who are even just getting into this process. I know there are a lot of numbers being thrown around and concepts that may be new and confusing to some of you. If you want, go back, listen to it again, slow it down, pause it. If you want, call me up. We'll get on a phone call. We'll have a consulting session. I know this can be a lot to grapple with. One other thing, just in case you're wondering, is this relevant for me right now? My child's in eighth grade or ninth grade or 10th grade. So let me just remind everybody of this. Your financial aid profile, which determines the amount of money that colleges will expect you to pay for your child's freshman year in college, begins on January 1st of your child's sophomore year in high school. I know that's a mouthful. What does this mean? It means if you have a sophomore in high school right now, the amount of money you will be expected to pay for their freshman year in college will be determined by how much income you earn in 2023, a couple of weeks from now. The clock will start running in about nine weeks. So keep that in mind. Again, if you'd like to discuss this, feel free to reach out to me. We can set up a consulting session. I can set you up with one of the college financial aid counseling partners that I work with. We'll get into the weeds if you'd like. 
That's all I've got for you today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the continued support. If you know a parent with an 8th grader, ninth grader, 10th grader, 11th grader, 12th grader in high school that might find this helpful, please share that episode with them. You can do that by finding that small box with a tiny arrow pointing up. That's the share button. Click that button. Text your friends the link to this episode with a little personal note from you recommending that they give it a listen. Give us a rating, too, if you like what you hear. Apparently, that helps the podcast reach a wider audience. If you have questions, comments, or an idea for an upcoming episode, please reach out to me by email, DM me on Instagram, check out our blog, our Facebook page, connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. PrepWell Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to PrepWellAcademy.com and enroll your child today.